Loser, Chapter 7, Jab Pip. Here is the surprise. Every day is like the first day to Zinka. Things keep happening that rekindle the excitement of the first day. Learning to read his first two-syllable word, making a shoebox scene about the pilgrims, counting to five in Spanish, learning about water and ants and tooth decay. His first fire drill, making new friends. At the dinner table, Zinkoff tells his parents about his days, but he always waits for his father's question. So what's new, Chickamoo? Or what's new, Boogaloo? Or Kinkachu? Or Pookie-poo? Many things tickle Zinkoff, but nothing more than the sound of a funny word. Words tickle him like fingertips in the ribs. Every time his father comes up with a new one, Zinkoff has to put down his fork and laugh. Usually he leans to one side, as if the funny word has the force of a great wind. Sometimes he even falls off his chair. It's his teacher, Miss Meeks, who comes up with the best one. She stands at the green board one day, trying to explain what a billion basketballs would look like. If you put the first one here, she says, pointing to the floor, and line them up out the door and down the hallway and across the playground and down the street, why, they would stretch from here to Jabib. The classroom is a sea of boggling eyes. Wow, someone calls out. Where's Jabib? Miss Meeks explains that there is no actual place called Jabib. It's just here, her way of saying someplace really far away. At that point, Zinkoff in the last seat in the last row tilts alarmingly to the left and falls from his chair. The teacher rushes to him. His face is red. Tears stream down his cheeks. He's gasping for breath. Donald, Donald, she calls, though he is inches away. He looks up at her through watery eyes. He gasps, Chapib, he pounds the floor. That's when Miss Meeks realizes her pupil isn't dying. He's merely laughing. It's a good five minutes before Zinkoff calms down enough for the class to continue. Miss Meeks forbids the class and herself to utter the word chapib for the rest of the day. Nevertheless, from time to time, there are sudden giggly eruptions from the back row as the word pops back into Zinkoff's head. When he hears clunker four coming that day, he runs alongside the car as it coasts to the curb. Daddy, daddy, did you ever hear of Chapib? Sure, says his father out the open window. I also heard of Jaboop. Zinkoff rolls on the sidewalk. Chapib, Chapoop, he keeps erupting through dinner. Eating becomes hazardous. His parents smile patiently for the first minute or so, then begin telling him, Enough is enough. But Zinkoff can't stop. When a bolt of mashed potatoes shoots from his nose, he is sent to his room. That night, he giggles through his prayer and into sleep. In school for the rest of the week, Zinkoff continues to produce outbursts of laughter in the back row. Every outburst triggers laughter from the other pupils. Sometimes to get him started, a pupil waits until the teacher's head is turned then whispers the forbidden word. Sometimes Miss Meeks bites her tongue to keep from joining in. Sometimes she gets mad. It's during one of the mad times that she says, Donald, come up here, please. When he stands before her, she takes something from her desk drawer. It's 
a round yellow button. It's the largest button the students have ever seen, as large as a giant pinwheel taffy. It has black letters on it. Can you tell me what it says? Zinkoff studies the button. Finally, he shakes his head. It says, I know I can behave. She pins the button onto his shirt, and I know you can. Zinkoff has to wear the button for an hour. During that time, he does not laugh once. Miss Meeks judges her maneuver a success and returns the button to the drawer. Soon, Zinkoff is laughing again. He gets the button back. So it goes for several days. Second graders who wore the button the previous year and who have heard of Zinkoff's endless giggling ask him in the playground, did you get the button today? One day, Miss Meeks has to leave the classroom for a while. When she returns, she finds Zinkoff's hand waving in the air. Yes, Donald. Miss Meeks, he says, I laughed when you were gone. And she realizes at last that for Zinkoff, the button is not a punishment at all, but a badge of honor. From then on, she punishes him by keeping the button in the drawer. Button or no button, Zinkoff loves school. One day he awakes before anyone else in the house. He gets himself dressed, he makes his own breakfast, he brushes his teeth and walks off to school. I must be early, he thinks, for he sees no crossing guards or other children along the way. He is sitting on the front step waiting for the door to open when he hears clunker four. It stops in front of the school and out pop both his mother and father. Both come running. Donald, we've been looking all over. You weren't in your bed. I came to school all by myself, he declares proudly. His parents look at each other. His mother bites her lip. His father picks him up and says, you're very big to do that all by yourself. The only problem is there's no school today. It's Saturday. When Miss Meeks passes Zinkoff on to second grade, she writes on the back of his final report card. Donald sometimes has a problem with self-control and I wish he were neater, but he is so good natured. That son of yours is one happy child and he certainly does love school. Chapter eight, two new friends. In the summer between first and second grades, Zinkoff acquires two new friends. One is a baby sister, the other is a neighbor. The baby sister is Polly. The neighbor is Andrew. When Zinkoff first meets the baby, his mother says, look, and pulls down the blanket. Zinkoff's eyes boggle. There are two silver stars on the baby's diaper. This baby is less than one day old. What can she have done already to deserve two stars? He's never been awarded more than one at a time. Mom, he says, two stars? What did she do? She did the best thing of all, says his mother, pulling up the blanket. She was born. Has Zinkoff been misinformed? I was born too, wasn't I? She pats his head. Hand, absolutely. You were every bit as born as Polly was. So, he says, how come I didn't get two stars? Who says you didn't? He brightens. I did? She shakes her head. Sorry, I was kidding you. That was before I started giving out stars. 
Now she needs to pick him up again. Tell you what, how would you like your being born stars now? Better late than never. He brightens again. Yeah, but she's not finished thinking. Or how about this? We could make a deal. We could wait until you're having a really bad day. Someday when you could really, really use two stars to pick you up, that's when you get them. He thinks it over. He hates to wait, but he loves to make deals. Okay, he says, and shakes his mother's hand. Then he reaches into the blanket and shakes the baby's foot. A month later, the new neighbors move in next to door. That same day, Mrs. Zinkoff bakes a strawberry angel food cake and carries it out the front door. Her firstborn takes along. This is how we say welcome, she says. He stands at his mother's side as she rings the doorbell and says, welcome to the new neighborhood and hands the cake to the new lady neighbor whose proper name is Mrs. Orwell, but whose first name is better, Charisse. Then he is introduced. This is my son, Donald. Charisse smiles down at him and shakes his hand and says, hello, Donald. I have a son too. His name is Andrew. How old are you? Six, he replies. So is Andrew. Zinkoff stares at the two ladies in wonder. Wow, same as me. He looks past Charisse. Is he in there? He is, says Charisse, but he's hiding. He says he's never coming out. He's mad because we moved away from our other house. Zinkoff thinks about this for a moment. He lifts a finger to Charisse. I have an idea. Tell Andrew my father is a mailman. That will make him come out. In Zinkoff's view, carrying the mail is the most interesting job there is. Charisse nods solemnly. I'll give it a try. Before Zinkoff and his mother get back to their own house, he has another idea. I'm going to make a special welcome just for Andrew. Good for you, says his mother. A cake? No, a cookie. His mother does not say no. His parents try not to say no to him unless it's really necessary. So when he announces that he intends to bake a, a cookie, his mother simply says, what kind? He doesn't hesitate. A snickerdoodle. The snickerdoodle is his favorite cookie. Every cookie tastes good to him, but snickerdoodle tastes twice as good because of their name. Sometimes his dad says snickerdoodle and makes him laugh for an hour. Zinkoff's idea is to bake a snickerdoodle so big that Andrew, the new neighbor, will have to come out and see it. Since he is working on the kitchen table, it seems to him that the largest cookie he can make would be one as large as the table itself. But his mother points out that a cookie that big could not fit in the oven. So he settles for a rectangular cookie that covers the entire cookie pan. Every time his mother tries to help, the young chef snaps at her. I can do that. So his mother simply gives directions and says, heaven, help me. A lot while her in intrepid son makes a mess of the kitchen. Flour and eggs fly everywhere. For weeks to come, the family will feel the crunch of sugar grains underfoot. Finally, miraculous, miraculously, the cookie gets baked. He snatches the quilted pit mitten and potholder from his mother. I can do it myself, 
pulls the hot pan from the oven and sets it on the kitchen table. Impatient as always, he cannot wait for it to cool. He blows over the steaming cookie until he's out of breath. He flaps his hand over it. At last, the pan is cool enough to touch without the mitten. He runs next door with it. He rings the bell. Charisse opens the door. Hi, Donald. Hi, Charisse. I made a welcome cookie for Andrew. It's a snickerdoodle. I think if you put it on the floor and wait a little while, he'll smell it and come out. Zinkoff is utterly serious, but for some reason, Charisse laughs. Come on in, she says. Wait here. Charisse leaves him standing in the living room. He hears whispery voices upstairs. Once he hears a sharp no, then there are footsteps on the stairs. And here at last is Andrew Orwell walking toward him in his grumpy face and pajamas in the middle of the day. Hi, Zinkoff says. My name is Donald Zinkoff. I'm your neighbor. I made you a welcome cookie. It's a snickerdoodle. Andrew's face perks up. He leans in to smell the cookie. He is hooked. Zinkoff reaches for the spatula his mother told him to bring along. A cookie is not really a cookie until it's out of the pan and into the hand. He lays the pan on the floor. He pries the giant snickerdoodle from the sides and bottom of the pan. He lifts out the warm, soft, heavenly smelling welcome. He lifts it with both hands and holds it out to Andrew. As Andrew reaches for it, the panless, unsupported cookie collapses of its own weight and falls to the floor. Zinkoff is left with a bite-sized scrap in each hand. Andrew Orwell stares in horror at the floor. He screams, my cookie! He screams at Zinkoff, you dropped it! He runs screaming up the stairs. I hate this place. Zinkoff stuffs one scrap into his mouth, then the other. He gathers up the collapsed pieces from the floor and carries them home in the pan. He sits on the front step. Everybody who passes by that afternoon is offered a piece of cookie. In between, Zinkoff helps himself. By the time Clunker 4 rattles up to the curb, the cookie is gone. As his father gets out of the car, Zinkoff runs to him, plunges his head into his father's mailbag, and throws up. Zinkoff was born with an upside-down valve in his stomach. This causes him to throw up several times a week. To Zinkoff, throwing up is almost as normal as breathing, but not to his father, who has brought his mailbag home with him in order to repair the strap. When Donald was an infant, Mr. Zinkoff was very good about changing diapers, but he has no stomach for vomit. He turns away, holds the bag, and growls, take it to your mother. Early on, Zinkoff's mother impressed upon her son the etiquette of throwing up. That is, do not throw up at random, but throw up into something preferably a toilet or bucket since toilets or buckets are not always handy. Zinkoff has learned to reach for the nearest container. Thus, at one time or other, he has thrown up into soup bowls, flower pots, waste baskets, trash bins, shopping bags, winter boots, kitchen sinks, and once a clown's hat. But he never, but never his father's mailbag. He thinks his mother will say, heaven help me, but she does not. She's cool. She puts down baby Polly and unloads the bag into the toilet. She scours it with a stiff bristle brush and hand soap. 
She rubs it with Marley's leather cream. She sweetens it with a splash of Menin's aftershave and sets it into the playpen for Polly, baby Polly to crawl into. Hungry again, Zinkoff eats a full dinner that night and throws up into one of his socks. Heaven help me.